0: Everybody. welcome back we are going to discuss and cover chapter 32 the end of the Cold War and the challenge of economic development and immigration and this is going to cover the span of 1975 to the new millennium or 2000 so let's go ahead and begin section 1 post-colonial crisis and Asian economic expansion from 1975 to 2000 a Revolutions repressions and democratic reform in Latin America 1. The success of the Cuban Revolution both energized the revolutionary left throughout Latin America and allowed the U.S. to organize its political and military allies in in Latin America in a struggle to defeat communism. So the U.S. is just coming in to assist in um, not allowing communism to spread. Remember their policy. Two, at the same time, in Brazil, we see a coup occur in 1964, and this would bring a military government to power, and it's a combination of a dictatorship um, with the use of death squads to eliminate any political opposition. They also used tax and tariff policies to encourage industrialization, and they imported substitutions um, that became known as the Brazilian Solution. Elements of the Brazilian Solution were then applied to the government of Chile um, by Augusto Pinochet, and He was assisted by the CIA coup that overthrew the socialist Chile government in 1973. And this also was transitioned into Argentina uh, by a military regime that seized power in 1974. So we're seeing military governments in Brazil, Chile, and Argentina. Three. Despite reverses in Brazil, Chile, and Argentina, we do see revolutionaries persist in other locations as well. Um, In Nicaragua, um, we do have the Cuban-backed Sandistas movement. Basically, they overthrew the government of Somoza and ruled until it was defeated in the elections of 1990. In El Salvador, we see the Farabundo Marti National Liberation Front, or the FMLN, and they would fight a guerrilla war against the military regime in El Salvador. Um, And then their popularity declined in the 1990s. And we would see this lead to rebels negotiating an end to armed conflicts, as well as transforming themselves into a a physical, um, legitimate political party. Four. So with those military dictatorships in Brazil, Chile, and Argentina, um, they all would come to an end between 1983 and 1990. These dictatorships will be over. Um, All three regimes basically came to an end because um, of increased kidnapping, torture, and corruption that they were participating in. The Argentinian regime also suffered due to an invasion of the Falkland Islands by the British and a military defeat. It was, you know, a huge military defeat. Five, by the end of the 1980s, we do see oil importing nations like Brazil were in economic trouble. Um, This was because they had borrowed heavy um, loans and had to pay very high oil prices um, by OPEC. And the oil exporting nations such as Mexico also faced crisis because they had borrowed heavily when oil prices were high um, in the 1970s. But they found them say, they did find themselves unable to keep up with their debt repayments when the oil prices fell in the 1980s. So Mexico and Brazil are having some issues with oil because of what they did in the early 70s. In 19 or six, in 1991, we do see Latin America um, become more dominant, uh, or become more dominated, sorry, by the United States than it had been in the mid 70s. Um, this is seen as the United States' um, use of military force in Grenada in 1983 and in Panama in 1989. So the U.S. is intervening. Section B, Islamic revolutions in Iran and Afghanistan. One, we do see crisis in Iran and Afghanistan um, that were threatening to involve the superpowers, which are the United States and Soviet Union. Um, and both countries reacted to these crises with restraint, um, but we do see the Soviet Union took a bolder and um, a disastrous course um, with their instigation in Afghanistan, too. In Iran, uh, American backing and corruption and inefficiency of the leader Shah Mohammad Reza. Um, and his regime stimulated very popular resentment. And then in 1979, there were huge street demonstrations and strikes that would end up toppling the Shah and bring a Shiite cleric, so a Shiite um, like government worker, the Ayatollah uh, Khomeini to power. And he's a really radical Is- Islamic individual. And he would overthrow... And establish a very anti-western conservative islamic republic in iran and this is where we see blows to american prestige um, and the us is really not not able to do anything about it three and then in 1980 the iraqi leader saddam hussein would go on to invade iran and topple that islamic republic um, that the ayatollah created Um, And then the United States began to support Iran at first, but in 1986, they tilted more to uh, Iraq and Hussein. Four. While all this is going on, the Soviet Union did face a very serious problem when it started to send troops into Afghanistan in 1978. Um, This was done in order to support a newly established communist regime that had Came to power in Afghanistan, Um, and the Soviet Union struggled really bad against the American-backed guerrillas, um, which also included Osama bin Laden, and it was very costly and caused a lot of domestic discontent back in the USSR, and it forced leaders to withdraw troops in 1989, and it kind of let the rebel groups fight amongst themselves in Afghanistan. Section C, Asian Transformation 1. So, while all this is going on in the Middle East and Latin America, um, the Japanese economy is growing crazy fast at a very rapid rate than any of the other major developed countries in the 1970s and 80s. Um, The average income outstripped the United States in the 1990s, um, and this economic growth is really associated with the industrial economy of Kiretsu, which is an alliance of firms, of like business firms. And this these business firms would receive government assistance in forms of tariffs and import regulations that would inhibit foreign, foreign competition Two, So this Japanese model of close cooperation between the government and industry imitated um, by, was imitated like people copied it by a small number of Asian states. This is most notably copied by South Korea. Um, in which four corporations led the way in developing heavy industry and consumer um, products. Hong Kong and Singapore will also develop modern industrial and commercial economies. And all of these new economies would share certain characteristics. They're very disciplined and hardworking, um, have large labor forces. They invest in education and have high rates of personal savings. And it's just very successful for the um, East East Asian countries. D. China rejoins the world economy. 3. In China after 1978, the regime of Deng Xiaoping carried out uh, a lot of successful economic reforms... That would allow for private enterprise and foreign investment to exist alongside those state-owned enterprises. So remember, uh, China is communist, but now they're introducing some capitalist tendencies, private ownership, private business, Um, and these would allow individuals and families to contract agricultural land farms as they like so they can do whatever they want with the land. At the same time, that command economy of China, basically with the government government Um, sponsored and backed and created economy remained in place and China would basically resist any political reform. Um, Notably, one event that showed the power, the political power of the communist was the Tiananmen Square Massacre in 1989. Section two, the end of the bipolar world, 1989 and 1991. During the pres- presidency of Ronald Reagan, we do see the Soviet Union's economy restrained by the attempt to match massive US spending on armaments such as space-based missile protection system and the Soviet Union's obsolete industrial plants and its inefficient planned economy, as well as its dis- declining standard of living and that unpopular war in Afghanistan would really create underground protests. And section two, when Gorbachev took over leadership in 1985, he addressed the problems of the Soviet Union by introducing two policies, political openness or Glasnost, and economic reform through Perestroika. B, the collapse of the socialist bloc. One, events in Eastern Europe um, were very important in forcing change to the Soviet Union and the activities of um, a solidified labor union in Poland and the emerging alliances between nationalist and religious opponents of the communist regimes, in addition to the economic weakness of the communist states themselves, would lead to fall of communist governments in Eastern Europe in 1989. And of course, the reunification of Germany in 1992. So the weakness of the central government and the rise of nationalism would lead to the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Um, and it fell in September of 1991. We also see the ethnic and religious divisions also led the uh, dismemberment of Yugoslavia in 1991, as well as the division of the Czech Republic in 1992. Go ahead and skip Section C, the Progress and Conflict in Africa, and go ahead and move to Section D, the Persian Gulf Wars of 1990 and 1991. So 1. The whole Persian Gulf War began when Iraq invaded Kuwait, which is um, in Saudi Arabia, in August of 1990. Um, and they wanted to gain control of Kuwait's oil fields. Um, and Saudi Arabia did feel very threatened by Iraq's action and sought help from the United States in the war and this conflict with Iraq. And American forces would lead a coalition with the British and some other um, allies to drive Iraq out of Kuwait. Um, But they allowed Saddam Hussein to maintain power. Two, the Persian Gulf War would restore the United States' confidence in its military and the capability of the military while also demonstrating that Russia um, was impotent, that Russia couldn't do anything. They were, like, weak. Section 3, the challenge of population growth. A, demographic transition. One. So the population of Europe... Um, between 1850 and 1914 had doubled and we see while some Europeans saw this as a really good thing, others argued that unchecked population growth would eventually outstrip food production and in the years that followed World War II, we do see Malthus's views were dismissed as Europe and other industrial societies experienced um, a demogra- demographic transition to lower fertility rates. We see less children being born. Two, This demographic transition did not occur in the third world countries where leaders actively promoted large families until some economic issues of the 70s and 80s um, would convince governments of developing countries to abandon that pro-natalist policy, like having a lot of kids. Pro-natalist is someone who supports large families. Three. World population would explode in the 20th century with most of the growth rate taking place in the poorest of nations due to the promotion of those high fertility rates and those declining more, uh, more mortality rates. B. Industrialized nations one in the developed national or in developed industrialized nations of Western Europe and Japan at the start of the 21st century so in 2000 we do see higher levels of females um, being educated and having um, employment as well as the material values of consumer culture and access to contraception and um, abortions uh, allowed for an increase in low fertility rates so low fertility Fertility levels combined with improved life expectancy will lead to an increasing number of elderly or retirees who would rely on, re- on a relatively small number of working adults to pay for social services, so social security. Two, in Russia, we do see other former socialist nations and other former socialist nations um, have current birth rates being lower than the death rates, and life expectancy in these countries um, had declined. C. The developing nations. One. In the 21st century, we do see the industrialized nations um, will continue to fall behind the developing nations um, as a percentage of population at current rates. 95% of all population growth will be in developing regions, and this is seen in Africa and Muslim countries. Two. In Asia, the populations of China and India continue to grow, despite government efforts to reduce family size. We don't know whether nations of Asia, Africa, and Latin America will experience demographic transition as seen in the industrial countries, but fertility rates have fallen in the developing world because women have better access to education and employment outside the home. D, old and young populations. 1. So demographic pyramids currently or more recently um, generated by demographers do illustrate the different age distributions in nations at the different stages of economic development, too. The development the, the, the sorry the developed nations would face large aging populations and will have to rely on immigration or increased use of technology in order to maintain industrial and agricultural production at levels sufficient to support um, a, a relatively high standard of living in the generous social welfare programs instilled in our country. Three, um, developing nations have of relatively young and rapidly growing populations, but they face the problem of providing their people with education and jobs while struggling with shortages of financial investments of capital and poor transportation and communication networks. Section four, unequal development and the movement of peoples. A, the problem of growing inequality. One, since 1945, so since the end of World War II, we do see global economic productivity um, had created high levels of material abundance while at the same time industrializations of the northern hemisphere had come to enjoy a large share of the world's wealth than they had a hundred years prior. And this would allow for the majority of the world continuing to live in poverty besides those industrialized developed nations. two, Regional inequalities within nations have also grown in both industrial countries and in developing countries. So, this is economic inequality, social inequality. B, internal migration, the growth of cities. One. So, migration from the country to urban areas in developing nations increased. Threefold from 1925 to 1950, and then would accelerate very rapidly after 1950. So people are just moving to cities, jobs, just to get away from the small town life. Two, migrants to cities would generally enjoy higher incomes and better standards of living than they would have in the country. But as the scale of rural to urban migration grew, we see that the benefits became more elusive. So they weren't able to still have those same initial benefits. And migration would place impossible burdens on cities, on basic services, um, that would lead to the creation of slums, shanty shanty towns, and uh, increased crime in cities. C, global migration, one. So migration from the developing world to the developed nations would increase dramatically after 1960. Um, and this would lead to an increase in racial and ethnic tensions in the host nations. Um, so immigrants from the developing nations brought the host nations the same benefits that the migration of Europeans brought to America in the early 1900s too. Um, these immigrant communities in Europe and the U.S. are predominantly made up of young adults and tend to have um, high fertility rates than the, the host country ho- has. And in the long run, this will lead to increases in a Muslim population in Europe, Asia, and Latin America, uh, as well as the United States. And it will create cultural conflicts over what it is to be a citizen and what's nationality. Section 5, technology and environmental change. A, new technologies of the world economy, one. So we do see new technologies developing during World War II that would lead to increased productivity um, and reduced labor requirements, as well as improve the flow of information when they are applied to industry during that post-war period. The application and development of technology was also spurred by this huge demand for consumer goods. Improvements in existing technologies would account or two, sorry, improvements in existing technologies would account for much of the world's productivity increases during the 50s and 60s. And the improvement would have widespread application of the computer was particularly significant and it transformed the office work and in manufacturing industry. Three. Transnational corporations became primary agents of these technological changes. In the post-World War II years, transnational corporations, along with multinational ownership and management, became increasingly powerful. And they were able to escape the controls that were imposed by national governments by shifting or threatening to shift production from one country to another country. It's like that the, the argument of outsourcing. Like, if I don't get what I want, well, I'm just going to send it to where I, into another country, you know? Section B, conserving and sharing resources. One, during the 1960s, we do see many environmental activists and political leaders begin warning about the environmental con- consequences of population growth, industrialization, and the expansion of agriculture we do see environmental degradation is a problem in both developed and developing countries, and it was especially severe in the Soviet Union. Um, And many attempted to address environmental issues that the industrialized countries faced, a contradiction between environmental protection and the desire to maintain rates of economic growth that depended on the uh, consumption of goods and resources. Two, in the developing world, Population growth would lead to extreme environmental pressures as forests were cut down and marginal land developed in order to expand food production. And this would lead to increased erosion and water pollution. C. Responding to environmental threats. 1. The government of the United States and European countries uh, and Japan took a number of initiatives to preserve and protect the environment in the 70s. And we do see an increased environmental awareness begin to spread by the means of media, grassroots political movements, and most nations in the developed world would enforce strict anti-pollution laws and sponsor huge recycling efforts too. These efforts that were imposed, many of them made possible by new technology, would produce significant results but in the developing world, population pressures and weak governments were major obstacles to really effective environmental policies. So that is the end of chapter 32. Um, and we have one more chapter, so we're almost done. Um, remember, this is due next class or due whenever I've assigned it into class. And just make sure you have these because you will, will probably find these as a really helpful resource um, when we do our end of year review project. Okay, well, I'll see you in the next episode. Have a great day, guys.